Well, good morning, Colleyville family. And uh, I don't use that word lightly at all. It's so good to be back home. Uh, for some of you, you might be looking at me like, what does that mean? If you've been here in the less, well, actually, in five years or less, you might not even have a clue to who I am. We were here on staff seven years ago. I was uh, the pastor of adult ministries. We moved to the foreign mission field of Georgia, uh, not Georgia the country, but Georgia the state, and, uh, and had a great time for there. For seven years, I was the executive pastor of a church uh, in the Atlanta area, and uh, then Pastor Craig asked if we would come back, and so this is like home, coming home for us, and I want you to know from the bottom of our heart that uh, First Colleyville has always had a very special place in our heart. And so coming home to you, as well as coming home to the great state of Texas, is all good, right? So the only thing we're kind of getting adjusted to right now is just the heat. Uh, and, uh, and so we, we know that that will pass soon, but uh, we are so glad. I think when we were here last, my, uh, I have four kids. My, my oldest at the time was probably just getting into middle school. He's now in college, 21. Uh, we have another son that's 19, and he's going to college as well. Uh, and then uh, we've left them in Georgia, so you can be praying for my wife. It's a bit of a transition there, leaving your kids behind, but uh, we're, we'll be good. Uh, and then we have two daughters uh, who, when they were here, were very small, but now one's in high school and one's in middle school. Uh, I tell people we went from lots of energy to lots of emotion in our home right now, and so I'm, I'm kind of wading through that and figuring all, but it's really good. And uh, I love being a dad, love being a parent, but what I really love, two things I love, is I love being a pastor. Uh, I, I just enjoy it with all my heart. Can't wait to get to work every day because it's what I love doing is shepherding God's people. And man, I am passionate about, about Jesus. Uh, Jesus has made a huge change in my life and, uh, and I can't wait uh, to see what he has in store for me in the years ahead. Uh, I look forward to meeting some new friends uh, that I don't know around this room, uh, and I hope that uh, you'll come and introduce yourself. I'd love to get to know you, hear your story, and anxious to hear what God's doing in your life. So as I was getting ready for today, I was thinking, what, Lord, what would it be that you'd want me to talk about? And so the title of my message is something I'm really passionate about. It's really, it's, the title is Following Jesus, uh, because I am convinced from the bottom of my heart that the single greatest purpose that we can have in life is to follow Jesus. I really believe that. Uh, in fact, I believe it so much, it reminded me of a time when my kids were growing up. Uh, my boys, they were young at the time. I think Luke was maybe four. Landon was maybe, maybe two. There's about a two-year difference between them. And uh, Luke came to me and he says, hey, Dad, man, I really want to, I want to learn how to play baseball. Now, I love baseball. It's been a big part of my life. And so I was like, sure. So we went to academy and we picked out, you know, a wiffle ball bat that he could barely hold because he was four at the time and a ball and my other son Landon was picking it up and just kind of whacking the dog with it all the time and kind of using it as a weapon but we kind of got through that and and so we get to the backyard and Luke says hey dad I've got this all figured out here's what I need you to do he said dad you stand right here and I'm going to go down here over here and then I need you just to throw the ball at me and I'm going to hit it I said, that's great, Luke, you got it all figured out, let's, let's give it a shot. So I get up, I throw him the first pitch, he swings for everything that he's got, and he misses it. And I'm like, oh man, Luke, it's okay, buddy, you got it, it's going to be really good, you can do it, buddy. Man, you're awesome. So I throw another pitch at him, man, he swings for every, I mean, like, it's for everything he's got, and he misses. 
And we'd do it again a third time. Throw it. He swings and he misses. Now, at this point, he's a little bit frustrated with me. And I can't figure out why. And he kind of drops the bat. And he walks up to me and he says, Dad, you, I mean, as serious as he can be, he says, Dad, you're getting this all wrong. And I'm like, what are you talking? I mean, I'm thinking this in my mind. I'm not saying it to him literally, but I'm like, what, what? what do you mean I'm getting it wrong? You're the one swinging and missing. But he says, Dad, you're getting it all wrong because you're supposed to throw the ball where I'm swinging the bat. And as I thought about that, it's a lot how we sometimes treat God, isn't it? Really. I mean, we, we say, God, I'll follow you if your plans meet my plans. God, I'll follow you if your demands fit inside my nice little box. Man, I'll do it. I'll follow you if your agenda matches my agenda, God. In fact, as long as you're pitching the ball where I'm swinging, I will swing the bat. But you know, in Jesus' day, it was very different. Jesus sees following him in a very different capacity because a disciple during Jesus' day was a follower not just in a general sense, but also in a very particular way. You see, when Jesus invited a group of people to follow him, he didn't just invite them to stay in touch with him. No, he had something entirely different in mind. You see, Jesus, when he said, follow me, he invited them into his life to do life with them relationally, but to say, come do life with me. Come experience what I'm experiencing. Come with me right now. Learn a way of life and faith by watching me do it. You see, Jesus understood that the single greatest purpose that we can have in life is to follow him. Now, as I've been traveling around and working now in churches for some 25 years and also working with churches and helping to equip them and their staff in this area of, of Jesus to style disciple making, I've become sadly aware that most people in churches today in North America think that they're following Jesus. They think that they're following Jesus, but the sad reality is what I'm finding out is not that they're following Jesus, but they've invited Jesus to follow them. So it begs me to ask the question, what did Jesus really mean when he said, follow me? What does it really look like to follow him? And I think you've got to start with understanding what the word literally means, follow me. Frankly, that word literally means to replicate or to emulate or to regulate one's life after another. So when Jesus invited those to follow him, what he was essentially saying was this. I'm asking you to replicate my life, my patterns, my principles, my, my purposes, my practices, just like me. In fact, I think it's what John meant. John the Apostle, who was probably one of his closest friends and in that inner circle, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, John said this, he said, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus 
walked. That's what John was communicating. And when I think about that, and I think about the context of what we're talking about today, this idea of following Jesus, what comes to mind is when I was a school kid, man, when I was in school and we were in the playground, maybe you played this same game, but we played this game called follow the leader. You remember it? You designated someone who was in charge and they, they would do whatever and then everybody else would get in a single file line and do exactly what that person was doing to a T. And so this morning, I want us to dive into the Gospels, and I want us to look at an encounter that Jesus had as he was inviting some people to follow him, and let's see what we can learn from that text. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, beginning, we're going to be reading verses 1 through, five, uh, 1 through 11, but before we do that, as you're making your way to that that wonderful, amazing passage, I need to give you some context. I need to help bring some clarity to what's going on. Because I think sometimes when we read this text, we have some misinformation or misunderstanding. See, Jesus has actually been in doing public ministry now for about 18 to 20 months. Uh, the ministry is beginning to grow. Uh, there's a huge expansion. Jesus is teaching massive crowds, and the crowds are coming because they're not only attracted to the miracles that Jesus has been performing, but they're also intrigued by the spiritual truth that he's teaching. And while he's kind of been teaching crowds, it's not the only place he's been spending time. The truth is, is he's also been very interested in pouring his life into four individuals. Their names are Simon, Andrew, Peter, or Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Do you remember those names? They're four fishermen from the, from the town of Capernaum up north in the sea of, up by the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus has been spending time hanging out with them and relationally involving himself with them. In fact, he's even at some point invited them to come and see, to come and explore who he was. And as they were exploring his life, they became really uh, to a point of recognizing that Jesus was this promised Messiah. But Jesus says, hey, not only do I want you to you know, to come to that recognition, but I also want you to begin to watch me, to see how I live out my life, because Jesus understood that before you can call someone to follow them, they had to have an idea of what that looked like in living color. And so they had been watching Jesus, they'd been watching his patterns and watching his practices, but now Jesus is going to take a step in a new direction. Because in this text, he's going to circle back with them in their places of employment. They've gone back to work. He's now going to come back and he's going to say, look, I want to invite you. I'm going to challenge you to a deeper level involvement with me. I'm going to invite you to follow me. Not only to follow me, because that's going to be where you're going to find your greatest purpose in life, but I'm going to invite you to join in the mission that will change the world. See, Jesus does that same thing for each of us. You know, Jesus invites you or he invites me to explore who he is. And as we have time to understand who he is and to come to a recognition that he is who he says that he is, he is God. And then we put our trust and our faith in him, there comes this ultimate point where we, he says, follow me, follow me, regulate, pattern your life after me. 
And so this text, again, is a great passage that gives us some really good insight. So let's look beginning with verse 1. And it says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by, the, by Lake Garrisonette. And he saw two boats at the edge of the lake. And the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of those boats, which belonged to Simon. And he asked him to put it out and to put a, bit, a little bit out from land. And then he sat down and was teaching from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put it out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Master, Simon replied. This is probably my, my favorite verse in this entire passage here. Simon, Master, replied, We've worked hard all night and caught absolutely nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down my net. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come out and to help them. And they came and filled both boats up so full that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. For those who had seen him, were, who were also with him, were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken in. And so were James and John and Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus said to Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then he brought the boats to land. They left everything and they followed him. Like I said, I, I love this text because as I, as I look at this text, I see some things that really give us an idea of, of what it looks like to genuinely follow Jesus. And I think there are some shifts that each of us need to possibly make if we're going to follow Jesus really well. The first shift is our focus. The first shift we have to make is in our focus. You see, we live in a culture today that really is all about me. I'm at the center which everything else revolves. Me, 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 me. I call the shots, me. And, and, and as followers of Jesus, oftentimes we can fall into this trap as well. In fact, our Christian experience can be more about my preferences than about submitting to the work and the will of Jesus Christ. I can be more, uh, more pressed into my agenda than pressed into the kingdom agenda. But you see, the key to following Jesus, this idea of focus is being focused on being Christ-centered and Christ-controlled. That's really where the power comes from living the Christ-like life. And, 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 and you might say, well, Pastor Glenn, how do I know if I'm being Christ-centered and Christ-controlled? And the question I would ask you is to, the one I simply ask myself frequently is, who's sitting on the throne of my heart right now? Who's calling the shots? Who's in charge? Whose agenda matters most in my heart right now? Is it me? Or am I putting myself in a position where Christ, you're at the center which everything else revolves and you're in control calling the shots in my life. In fact, this is exactly what was happening to Simon. If you look in verse five, he, he says, master. And it's easy to kind of breeze over that. But the truth is, is this is the very first time that Peter has ever referenced Jesus as master. And that's key 
Because up to this point, he just referred to him as, as maybe rabbi or teacher or perhaps even Jesus. But he is now saying master, which means Lord, leader. You see, Peter had come to a place where he had shifted his focus off of himself and he was saying, I believe, Jesus, you can and will do a better job running my life than I ever could. I believe that. I'm convinced of that. You see, Simon is going to yield his control to Jesus by just the, the, the word and the title of saying, you're the Lord, you're the master, you're the powerful controller of all things. Simon willingly allows Jesus to live at the center of his life. Now, I'll never forget when a man who loved me very much and began to invest in my life began to teach me the principle of being Christ-centered and Christ-controlled. It was a game changer for me because up to that point, man, I had been trying everything out of my own strength to live the Christ-like life. I'd been trying to do it out of my own strength, out of my own ability. And I was failing at it miserably. In fact, if you were to say, Glenn, what were your two greatest difficulties? I would say balance and consistency were at the top of the list. And the moment that I began to practice this idea, my focus was on being Christ-centered and Christ-controlled. I began to experience balance in my life because what happened was, was that Christ was living at the center which everything else revolved around it. And then I began to experience cons continued consistency because Jesus was in charge of my life. So let me ask you this morning, where's your focus? Where's your focus? Who's sitting on the throne of your heart right now? And does there need to be a shift there? The second shift I see is not only a shift of focus, but a shift of attitude. Now, uh, some of you may not know this, but my mom and dad actually attend church here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this because they are amazing people, by the way. They did a great job trying to raise me. Uh, great parents, amazing people. All right, if you get a chance to meet them, Doug and Judy, you'll love them. They're good, good, solid folks. Um, but I remember growing up, and when I was getting into trouble, which, which was probably a lot, uh, and they would need to correct my behavior or redirect me in another direction, my dad would always say to me, attitude is everything. Because in, outwardly, I may be willing to obey, right? But inwardly, I was like, man, no I mean, I was like fighting it, right? And, and, and the word we had at our house was called, you know, like if my dad saw it kind of, kind of working on the inside, he'd say attitude adjustment. You need an attitude adjustment, right? And, and that meant, man, boy, you better get it, get it going quick because it's about to change in a heartbeat if it doesn't. And, and really that high, whole idea was is that they were trying to train me to, to, to learn how to obey not only on the outside but on the inside as well. You see, following Jesus demands, and I don't use that word lightly, demands, but the following Jesus demands an attitude of obedience. In fact, John, in John uh, 31, Jesus said this, he said, to those who had believed him, if you abide in my word and hold fast to my teaching and live in accordance with them, you truly are my disciples. In fact, I like to say it this way. Obedience 
is really God's love language. You see, what, and what was going on here is that Jesus is now getting ready to lean into Simon's life. He's going to test his obedience by asking him to do something that seems completely unheard of. Now remember, let's go back to the story. Simon and his companions have been fishing all night. What did they catch coming back? It, the, the text tells us absolutely nothing, right? They weren't very successful that night. They'd been out doing whatever they needed to do and they hadn't caught a thing to try to make it happen. They were frustrated. They were probably discouraged. They come back into shore. They're cleaning off their nets and Jesus, circling back around very intentionally, knowing where these guys would be, he invites Simon to get back in the boat and not only to get in the boat while he teaches, but then after teaching for some time, says, let's go out into the deep water and try again. Now let me hit the pause button. because I don't want to pass over this. This is too good. What may have been your response to Jesus? How do you think you may have responded if you were Simon? And you've been out all night fishing. You'd been out all night trying to make a living. You came back, it didn't work out so well. You're ready to go home and kind of probably kick back a little bit, chill out sleep a little bit, but now he's inviting you to go back out to where you've been the entire night before and it hasn't worked. I don't know about you, but for me, I may have possibly said, Jesus, great teacher, man, you got it going on. But I know fishing. You stick to teaching, I'll stick to fishing. But that's not what Peter said, is it? His response was, was amazing. He says, Master, because you say so. We, by the way, we were fishing all night, but because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. What a display of obedience. What a, without hesitation, I'm willing to step out into doing something that's uncomfortable, that really doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm willing to step forward because I have shifted my focus off of self and put it onto you. I'm now Christ-centered, Christ-controlled. It's beginning to change my attitude about who you are. And now I don't see it as an attitude of duty, but I see it as an attitude of love and obedience. And I'm going to respond without hesitation because I know following you will get me where I need to be because you are the greatest purpose I could ever follow is in you. And so he responds to that invitation. He steps out in an attitude of, of obedience. And as he's doing that, and, and, and he's obeying, he's also demonstrating several key qualities here that I just, I love and I can't pass over again. He's demonstrating a willingness to be available. To be available to, to, to the Lord's calling. I mean, I, I'll never forget when we were here some time ago, there was a young man that I was, really convinced that God had some things for him and I'd invite him over and over and over to, to hey I'd love to invest some time in you and disciple you I think man God's got some things for you and he'd say to me time and time again hey look that's great but I just don't have the time you don't understand I'm traveling back and forth all the time and you're meeting on a Monday night I'm on a plane on Sunday night and I'm headed to somewhere across the country I don't have the time to make it happen 
Several months go by, constantly inviting, 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 inviting. Several months, maybe even a year goes by, I get a phone call one day in my office. The young man says, hey, can we go to lunch? He said, I'd love to jump in that group. I'd love for you to begin to invest in my life. And so he starts coming and God starts working in his life and doing some phenomenal things. And I pull him aside and I said, what changed? He said, listen, here's what happened. I wasn't making myself available. He said, I called my boss and said, look, I've got to do something that I know you're not going to like, but would it be okay if rather than coming in on Mondays, I just got up at 5 a.m. and took the first flight out and made it to where work was on Tuesday morning so that I can be at this, this thing that I have going on in my church? I really want to do it. And to his surprise, his boss said, yes, go ahead. And, and, and just to give you a context, so these guys would show up at my house like at 8.30, 9 o'clock and wouldn't leave till sometimes 1, 1.30 in the morning. And then he was getting up and he was headed off to, to DFW to catch an early flight at 5 a.m. every Tuesday morning. And he did this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I think, what a picture of availability. And today, that young man is walking with God. He's reaching his world and he's investing his life in a few. Because it starts with availability. But not only was Simon available, he also displayed faithfulness because he was willing to, without hesitation, take Jesus and do and obey him as word. And not only was he faithful, he was also teachable because if you see when, when, when he takes that step and they get, they've not caught anything and now they've got this massive catch, what's it tell us in the text? He fell at his knees and he said, Jesus, I am a sinful man. In fact, he calls him Lord. I, I've, I've been wrong. And then we see him as responsive because it said when they brought in their nets, Jesus says, hey, I want to give you a new mission. I want to give you a new set of standards. And it says that they left everything. So how's your obedience? Does your attitude reflect, an, uh, really reflect obedience? Or do you need an attitude adjustment? And the last shift is a shift of priorities. You know, the fact is, is that our priorities are anything that's anything that we assign to a high degree of importance. In our rush of modern life, it's easy to lose sight of our priorities. Under pressure, we tend to focus on the urgent and lose sight of what is most important. And that's why priorities help us manage the pressures that would otherwise manage us. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying to Peter and his companions, was in order to really follow me and to really join the movement, it's going to require that you reorder your priorities. This is what I love about Jesus. Because you see, I can't start at my priorities. It's got to start where? Back with my focus. Is my focus on being Christ-centered and Christ-controlled. As Peter is focused on saying, Jesus, you do a better job of running my life. What comes now is the result of his attitude of obedience because he's come to a place to recognize that Jesus does a better job running his life. And now out of, out of a lifestyle, out of an attitude of obedience, he says, I will go. You tell me, hands open, why, Jesus? Here we go. Woo, let's get in the boat together. Let's go see what happens. And then God does a miraculous thing. And then as a result of that, when Jesus says, come follow me, Come join the movement. Peter and his companions are willing to adjust, 
to reorder their priorities. See, oftentimes what happens, and this happened to me, because I remember very clearly and very distinctly complaining to Jerry, the guy that was investing in my life one day, saying, man, you, I, I am so, I've got so much to do. I, you know, I've got, I've got to, you know, come here and, and then you've got all these hours you've got to invest in me and then I've got all this time and, and I'm, I'm just getting stacked up and, and he's listening to me whine and complain about all the things I've got to do to readjust my priorities and he looks at me and he says, are you done yet? And I said, well, no, I've got a few more things to say. He said, shut up and listen to me. He said, let me ask you a question. When you chose to follow Jesus, whose time is it now? Uh, well, but I, I was just telling you. He said, no, 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 whose time is it now? Is it your time or is it Jesus' time? Well, I, I, I no, Glenn, it starts with and ends with Jesus. You're going to reorder your priorities to line up, Glenn, with Jesus' priorities. Now, I think what he was essentially trying to tell me was that I needed to concentrate on what was most important and eliminate, ruthlessly eliminate everything else. And I'm going to say something that I know that isn't incredibly popular maybe on a Sunday morning because it's, hey, I'd like to feel a little bit good about when I walk out of here, but I just want to say this. I've been following Jesus now for 30-some years. Following Jesus has a cost. It comes at a cost. But here's... Here's what I want to go back to. The single greatest purpose that we can have in life is following Jesus. Are you willing, am I willing, to shift my focus from me to being Christ-centered and Christ-controlled? Am I Am I willingly, voluntarily willing to have an attitude of obedience that comes, I think, comes, is born out of now, my focus is shift, and now I'm, I'm really starting to have an attitude to want to obey, and then out of that obedience is born a desire to reorder my priorities. See, the truth is we can follow a lot of things. We can follow people on Instagram, we can follow people on Twitter and TikTok, we can follow sports teams and musicians and politicians. Nothing innately wrong with that. But to be a disciple of someone is to turn your life over to them and ask them for their wisdom and how they might help you redirect your life in a different way. And see, that's really what following Jesus is really all about. It's really about becoming more and more like him every day. And I know that at this church, we're committed to helping you on that journey. In fact, part of my role here at First Colleyville is to help lead our generational ministries from, from, from birth to adult to say, how are we helping across the board 
to help individuals and families know and follow Jesus. And I am committed to everything that I have to making that become a reality because I believe that the single greatest purpose we can have in life is to follow him. Now, let me just say this quickly. You may be here and you're saying, well, I I would love to follow him, but I don't even know if I know him. And it starts with, in order to follow, you gotta know him. And, and the truth is, is this gospel tells us that, hey, that, that there is, there's a problem. And the problem is this, is that, that we're separated from God because of our sin. And God is perfect and complete and whole and we as humans are, are, are flawed and failed and, 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 and full of sin and, and, and we're not in right standing with God. But that can change by simply putting our trust and our faith in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Acknowledge the sin. I've been wrong. I've, I've, I'm, I've sinned before you, I, both in my actions and in my attitude. And I want to be in right relationship with you through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, can I just take a moment and to pray for you as you pray with me silently this prayer of confession. Father God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that I matter to you. I want to follow you. But I also recognize that I'm sinful. That sin has separated me from you. I repent of my sin. And I ask Jesus that you would be the leader of my life. Jesus, thank you for being not only my forgiver, but my leader. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may have prayed that prayer along with me. And we want you to know that we have some things, we, we want to come alongside you and help you. But you may be here today as well, and you're struggling with the follow piece. And let me just say something. There's no shame in that. The only shame is you walking out of here and not doing anything with it. We want to we wanna help you. We want to help put you back on a path to really following Jesus. So if we can be of any help, please come see us. We want to Uh, help you in this idea of following Jesus because it is the single greatest purpose we can have in life is to follow Jesus.